Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 16 for today's scripture reading. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they may go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun has risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large and entering the tomb, They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go to tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, that there you will see him just as he told you. And I went out and fled from the tomb, for the trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Christ is risen. Amen. It's great to be here with you today. Thank you for worshiping with us on this Easter Sunday. Uh, somebody told me it was snowing before. Is this true? Is this what I... <laughs> I've been here a little while, but I didn't realize that. But the Lord is risen, regardless of the weather outside. Uh, welcome. If you are... Uh, all of you, welcome. If you are visiting with us this morning for the for Easter holiday, we're especially glad you're here. Welcome you as our, our guests. Um, wanted to let you know about something that's coming up in the life of our church. Wanted to, to do that this week. You might have seen, if you were here uh, early and saw slides... Uh, going, or you might have noticed in your bulletin, an insert about a a life action conference. Uh, That is something we're hosting here at our church in three weeks, three weeks from this Sunday. It'll kick off. It's a week-long spiritual renewal, spiritual emphasis week uh, that we'll be having here at the church. If any of you remember the Thirst Conference that we uh, worked did with a few other churches about five years ago, it's the same group of people. Uh, This conference will be a little longer. And it's just an opportunity for us to set time aside as a a church and give more attention to our walk with the Lord. You know, sometimes we talk about kind of the the process part of our walk with the Lord, and that's just the day-to-day and week-to-week rhythms of daily devotions and reading the scriptures and worshiping. Uh, But then there's also those those points in time, those mountaintop experiences. Sometimes it's a concert, sometimes it's a maybe a, a, a a conference that you go to, something like that. And basically what we're able to do with the Life Action Summit Conference is we're bringing kind of a conference experience here. And so we would encourage you to be praying about that as a church, to clear your calendars as much as you can. I know May is a busy time in our lives, but uh, maybe you know, get, get here for as many of those as you're able to do because you will be blessed by that as it's uh, coming in the next few weeks or, well, three weeks from now. you see details in your bulletin. Uh, speaking of prayer, let's pray as we come to the, the Word this morning. Lord, thank you so much that, uh, that this is true, that Christ is risen, and that you are our, our Lord and our God, that you've conquered sin and death, and we are so pleased and honored to gather together this morning as, as worshipers, as celebrants 
uh, the, uh, the ripple of worship has been going around the globe for hours now, as here we are on kind of the later time zones, I suppose, for the way it unfolds. And, and it's, it is a, a joy to add our praise to the believers before us who've already gone. And uh, we would just ask now that you would be our teacher here in, in this passage. Help us to see what you want us to see in Mark's account of the empty tomb. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And this we pray in the name of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. When I was in seminary, my wife Laura and I lived in the Chicago area, and our time there happened to coincide with an amazing run by the Chicago Bulls. Now, I don't know how many NBA fans we have around here, if any, but uh, it, was an, it was really one of the great runs in, in sports. Uh, this would have been in the 1990s, a little, I guess it tells you a little bit of uh, how long ago it was, but it was in the 90s. And in that period, in the 1990s, the Bulls won six championships, six championships in eight years. The only two they didn't win were the two where Michael Jordan thought he could be a baseball player, and he ran off and played baseball for a couple of years. But those six, champ, those six championship seasons were, were the height, really, of, of Jordan's career. Now, uh, I am not a Chicago native. I'm actually, I grew up in New York. And so it was interesting for me as kind of an outsider to watch how Chicago, this big city, how it responded to all these championships. It was a very interesting thing to watch. Uh, so the diehard fans, you know, the real core fans, uh, they couldn't get enough of it, right? Every championship, it was like a brand new day. It was the best time to be alive if you were a Bulls fan. Uh, but it was another story with the casual fans, you know, the people you might chat with at the grocery store, or some of the guys I went to, to school with. Uh, because for them, it was different. For, for them, the first one was amazing, you know, and the second one was pretty cool. And even the third one, you're like, wow, a three-peat. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty neat. You know, that's special. But I, I found, as, as an outsider watching this, as the championships piled up, they, they almost started to get a little bored with it. You know, and, and I mean, they were, you know, proud of their city. You know, you're, yay, bulls, that kind of thing. But, you know, it almost became a little bit of a sense of, oh, did they win again? You know, <laughs> you know the ratings would start to slowly drop. You know. I mean, it just wasn't quite the interest, even though they were having these phenomenal seasons with all these wins and one of the best, I would say, the best player ever. Uh, and it wasn't that they didn't care. It was just that they were so used to winning. They got so used to winning that winning lost some of its wonder. Winning lost some of the wonder. One of the things I love about Mark's gospel, and, and especially Mark's account of the resurrection, one of the things I love about his account of what we're celebrating today is that he keeps us from doing that with the resurrection. He, he pushes us on this, on this issue. See, there is a danger. There's a danger with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the danger is the same one those Bulls fans or those casual Bulls fans ran into. The danger is that we might get so used to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we actually start to kind of take it for granted. You know, like, you know, oh, is it Easter again? You know, oh, it snuck up on me again. Have you ever said that? I've, I've even done it, right? And I've, I'm, I'm planning months in advance, but oh, Easter just snuck up on me. And oh, yeah, I love Easter. Easter's such a great time. It's, you know, springtime and the, you know, music at church and all the rest. But hey, did you give me one of those chocolate bunnies this year? You know, it, there's almost that sort of a, a sense. That's what it becomes, a, becomes all about. And so the danger for you and me, even as, as Christians, is that we might become complacent, complacent about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mark pushes us on this one. Mark keeps us from doing that. And here's what I mean. 
All four Gospels, there's four Gospels, all four of them tell us about the resurrection. This is one of the things that all four Gospel writers tell about. It's that central. And they all tell the same story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're all telling the same story. But they tell it in slightly different ways. And you've been around a little while, you've noticed this yourself. They, they, they focus on different things, they emphasize different parts of the story. And when you look at Mark's account of the empty tomb and you compare it to Matthew, Mark, or Matthew, Luke, and John, when you compare them, Mark zeroes in on the emotional impact more than the other three do. He really does. He focuses in on, on how the disciples respond. And, and it's not to say the others don't talk about it as well. They do. But Mark really draws our attention. He leaves out some of the biggest details you think he'd want to talk about. And instead, he focuses in on how the disciples respond to, how the empty tomb affects them, how they respond to the empty tomb. And, and what he emphasizes, the punch of it, each of these emotions, we're going we're to talk about four emotions today, each one, there's, they're not uh, easy emotions, they're, they're kind of raw, they're strong emotions, each one of them. And, and I think his, what he's going for here, what the Holy Spirit is going, here, going for through Mark is to push us away from boredom, away from complacency, and instead he wants us to see the awe of this event. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. The resurrection of Jesus should fill us with awe, should fill us with wonder, with awe. And that's, that's what Mark is going to help us with. And so I want to look at these verses this morning, the time we have, and I want to point out to you as we go along four emotions that Mark shows us in his story. Sometimes he names them, other times he simply describes them, but there are four emotions here, and there's a sense of building. You'll see what I mean as we go through it. We kind of start down here, and we, and we begin to ramp up. We kind of arc up in, in terms of the intensity of the emotions that Mark is going to describe for us. And, uh, and so we'll, 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 that's where we'll land when we get to the end. So four emotions that move us toward awe this morning. Number one, the first emotion that Mark shows us in this passage is hopelessness. Hopelessness. That's where the story begins. The women set out for the cemetery on that first Easter morning. Uh, they don't know it's Easter morning. They don't know it's Resurrection Sunday. To them, it's just the beginning of the week. And they felt hopeless. They felt hopeless. And, and we see this in the first three verses. So, verse 1, chapter 16 of Mark. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, him being Jesus. And very early on, in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So Mark does not use the word hopeless in those three verses, but there are several clues that this is exactly what they felt. Uh, the first clue is their goal. Why are they going? They are going to take care of a dead body. They are going to take care of Jesus' body. Uh, Mark tells us who it was. He gives us their names because they are the first witnesses, and so there's almost a legal sense to this a little bit or a formality to it. Uh, and it's Mary Magdalene, probably the most famous woman in the Gospels other than, than the mother of Jesus, uh, Mary from Magdala, Mary the mother of James, and a, a third woman named Salome. And, and that's who was going. They're the ones. And whatever else, he actually doesn't say anything else. He doesn't say very much about these women in, in this passage. But what he does tell us is that they, they believe Jesus is dead. This is the big thing that, that we focus on with these women. They, they are sure that Jesus is dead, and this isn't a criticism of them. They had no reason to think otherwise. 
Uh, They had actually watched him die. Mark has told us this. It's Mark chapter 15, verse 40. He names the same three women. Mark 15, verse 40. They watched him die. They saw all the stuff that maybe you read about in the last few days, or you know the, the, the accounts of the crucifixion. They watched the nails. They saw the, the they heard him cry out. They saw the, the sword, uh, the, the spear into his side. They saw it all. They saw him die. And then they saw that he was buried. Mark 15, verse 47. They saw that he was buried uh, in a tomb. They saw it with their own eyes. So they know, right? They know that Jesus is dead. Moreover, they expect him to stay dead. They're, they're not on their way to the tomb, uh, kind of like, hey, let's go see if Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> you know, that's absolutely not what's going on. That is not why they're going. Uh, he is dead, and he is still dead. Right? They, are, they are hopeless as, as in that sense. They're, they're, they're just utterly hopeless about what they're going to find when they get there. Uh, we know this for two reasons. You say, well, how do you know, Don? Maybe they, maybe they did think he might rise from the dead. No, there's, there's two things that tell us. They, they firmly believe in their hearts that he is still dead. Uh, the first is the spices. Right, so he says they, they, they buy spices, and if you wonder when that happened, it probably happened the night before. So the Sabbath would end as soon as the uh, sun drops below the horizon, but there is actually still some light, and there, it's a city, you know, street light, torches and all the rest. And, and so they, I think the best way to read that verse one is they went out when Sabbath formally ended, they bought the spices, and they had them ready to go the next morning. Because first thing the next morning, they go out. They go out to, toward the tomb. And so spices, you say, why spices? Are they cooking something? No, they're not cooking something. It's different kind of spices. Uh, the, the, the point of the spices was really kind of two things. The first point was actually an honorific. It was a way to honor the dead person. Um, sometimes we get the impression that all the bodies were, were packed with these spices, uh, but that wasn't actually the case. It was um, something that was, they were expensive. These spices were expensive, and so you had to be of some means or else had people of means who wanted to honor you. And so there's a sense in which the spices are, are to honor Jesus, to revere him, to show how important he was. So that's part of it. Uh, and it's almost like buying a funeral arrangement, like a, you know, a very big flower arrangement for something like that. It's almost a little bit like that. But there's also a practical function with the spices, and the practical function is they cover up the smell. Uh, dead bodies uh, compose. You know, our bodies begin to break down as soon as, we're, we're, as soon as we die. And so even though it's just been a few days, if they're going to go into the tomb and they're going to treat his body, it's going to smell. And so the spices would also help with that. And, and over the next year, usually a year would pass, um, more bodies might be put in this tomb. And so the spices, again, would make people who need to go in there, it would make that whole experience um, less difficult, okay, from that perspective. And so the spices, why spices? Well, spices because Jesus is dead. You wouldn't buy spices if you thought he might be alive. Uh, it would be like buying... Uh, you know, buying funeral arrangement on your way to a birthday party. It, it would not be appropriate. You wouldn't do that. So this, the, the very fact of the spices in the text tells us they're sure he's dead. Uh, the other way you know they're sure he's dead is this whole thing about the stone, right? And so again, there's no thought that the stone might be moved, that Jesus might have come out. I mean, there's no expectation of any of this. Um, in fact, Mark, Mark tells us they're worried about it. They're worried about it. Who's going to move it? How are we going to roll it back? These things were big. They were easier to close because they would roll downhill to cover up the entrance of these cave tombs. Um, But to open it again is a difficult process. You need a few strong men to do it. And that also tells you about their mindset, you know, their their hopelessness. uh, It's it's grief. I call it, I'm I'm calling it hopelessness, but it's it's really, it's grief, grief, hopelessness. Um, So much so that they don't even have a plan. You know, it's almost like they get 
a third of the way there, and they're like, wait a minute, what are we going to do about the stone? There's almost a little bit of that sense of it. But they continue on. They kind of figure maybe the guards will help them, because we know from Matthew a guard was posted. So, 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 but they're hopeless. Again, they have no expectation that Jesus is anything but dead. Right? That, that's what you see there. They are hopeless. They're filled with grief. They're filled with despair. Before I move to the next one, uh, let me just say, I, I wonder if any of us in this room can identify with that sense of hopelessness. And, and I know it's Easter Sunday, and, and, and we try to get up, and we try to, you know, to, to, to be up, uh, but maybe, uh, maybe some here feel closer to the weather right now, right? It's kind of dark and dreary and snowflakes in the middle of April and, and some of these things, and, and, and you can really identify with that. When I tell you the women felt hopeless that Easter morning, you go, yeah, I get that. Maybe you've uh, lost somebody. You've lost someone you love. And maybe it's a recent loss, maybe it was as longer ago, but there's something about the holiday that kind of brings it up anew. And, and so there's some grief mixed in for you this morning, along with the joy of the resurrection. Or maybe you're dealing with a, a chronic illness, and, and you, it's not gone away, and you're still dealing with it. Or it, maybe, you know, COVID has held on, or it's left after effects if you had it, and, and, it, and you never quite got over it all the way. Or, or maybe someone you love is in that sort of a situation. They've been fighting against cancer or some kind of degenerative disease. Uh, maybe you're, you're dealing with chronic pain, right? And, and so every, you're, you're fine. Everything is fine. Um, you're sharp as you ever were up here, but the arthritis or other kinds of things like that, if, and you're just living with chronic pain, and that makes it difficult. Uh, maybe you're lonely, you're isolated. Lots of folks have been dealing with that in the last couple of years especially. Uh, you, you feel alone, abandoned. Uh, maybe you feel hopeless because of, of depression or, or anxiety or stress. or you know, Maybe the, the news is getting to you, right? You, you feel mostly okay, and then you're like, yeah, let's see what's going on in the world. And about 30 seconds later, you're sorry you, you ever opened the app. And, 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 and so there's, there's a sense of hopelessness at, at that level, you know, personally hopelessness, but there's a sense of, of kind of hopelessness at scale, right? Big, big picture hopelessness. There's lots of ways you can see where somebody might, might identify with how those women felt that day. And, and, and if that's you this morning, if you're like, yeah, I got you, Mary, I know exactly what, what you mean. I know exactly what you were going through. If, if that's you, hold on, hold on, the answer's coming, right? That's what this text is about. God has an answer to our hopelessness. Help is coming. Number two, the second emotion we see in this text uh, is, uh, is surprise. So we're going to go from hopelessness to surprise. The women were surprised by what they saw when they arrived at the tomb. So take a look at verse four for this one. It says, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. And it was very large. He puts this detail in here, so we appreciate the scale. Uh, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. So the women arrive, and at these tombs, they would have been right outside the city. Um, it's like, well, if cemeteries right outside of cities. It would have been right outside the city. It was outside the city walls. But it's still, it's going to be a walk. It's, you know, it's going to be 15, 20 minutes, perhaps. And they would be up. So when it says they looked up, if you're kind of... What is, why, why did they look up? That's weird. Because you'd put the, the tombs up. You'd want them up for, for prevent flooding, if nothing else, or to keep them getting flooded uh, when there's heavy rains. And so, so they, they are going up. They're literally going up a path, and they come up, and they look up where they know the tomb of Jesus is, where he's been laid to rest, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and they look up, and the stone is moved. Right? So they're, they're, they're kind of obsessing as they go along about their stone problem. They look up, and there's no stone problem. The stone's been moved out of the way. The tomb is opened. That's what they see. 
Now, Mark does not use the word surprised. Mark doesn't say, and they were surprised. He doesn't say that. But I think it's pretty safe to assume that they were surprised, right? If you were filming this, you would make them be surprised. Or if you were a character actor and wanted to play one of them, you'd probably be like, I wonder how she felt. Oh, she probably felt surprised. I I think there's a pretty good chance that that is exactly what they're experiencing. They're surprised because the door is supposed to be closed on this thing and it's open. And, And nobody else got there before them. Remember, Mark has gone out of his way to tell us they left very early. Nobody beat them to it. It's not like, you know, some of the men got there 20 minutes early. There is no 20 minutes early because they've actually, they've, I think the right way to read Mark and line it up with the other gospels in terms of when they say they went is that they left their house before the sun came up and and it's coming up as they're getting there because there's that ambient light that you get before the sun actually comes up. That's the light that they go by. So nobody's beat them to it and yet it's open. It's open. How can that be? It's surprising. And if you think about surprise, let's think about surprise for a minute. Surprise is one of those emotions that's kind of nuanced, right? There's different ways it comes out. And I think at least two of them are suggested by the text here for for these women. Um, For one thing, I think they're confused by it. A lot of times when something surprises us, it confuses us. If you think about it, right? If you're surprised, you're confused. Uh, Have you ever been the the victim of a surprise party? Or maybe blessed by a surprise party? And, uh, and, you know, your wife says, you know, well, we're just going to go to, you know, we're just going to go out to dinner. And and you're like, okay, we're just going out to dinner. I'm getting a nice, quiet dinner. And, and, uh, you you know, they open the door and surprise, you know, and there's like 50 or 60 people there. And, And you're, if you've ever had that happen, or if you've done it to anyone else, a lot of times you feel confused. Like you watch the person at the next surprise party you go to. They're like, what? Huh? I thought we were just going out to dinner. And, and, and so a lot of times surprise triggers confusion. And, and I, would, I would guess there is some confusion here for them. Again, how, why is that open? It's, not, it's supposed to be closed. Those things are really heavy. How, how is that open? So, so there's this confusion. And then a lot of times surprise will then trigger curiosity, right? Confusion will give way to curiosity. Uh, and, and I think you'll see that here. In verse 5, it says they entered the tomb. So they're, when they're surprised to see it open, they're, they're not like, huh, let's, let's go call the police or let's go get Peter or something. No, they go in. They, they go into the tomb, it says in verse 5. And so uh, they're, they're, uh, they're surprised, they're confused, and they're curious. And I want to bundle that whole bunch together. And they're, and they're not, they're, I don't know that they're upset yet. They're not worried yet. But these are all things that you're kind of like, what's, what's going on here? What's going on? I, I was coming to a funeral. What's, what's, what's this? What's going on? Before we look at number three, again, I want to just ask if anybody can perhaps identify with that sense of surprise this morning, that confusion or that, that, uh, that curiosity that uh, is triggered by what we're celebrating today. Uh, I would guess in a group of people this large and bring in some of our folks who might be joining us online uh, that, uh, you know, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm not doing the hopeless thing. I don't, you know, I don't feel hopeless this morning. But, but you do have that, uh, an inner sense of confusion about this whole thing, right? And so Easter, Easter is one of those things you, you do even if you don't believe it, right? And, and, and that's true. I would guess, I, I'm sure there's, that's happening all across the country, People are going to church today, and, and they're singing the songs, and they're listening politely to the, the guy up front, but, but on the inside, they're kind of like, you know, I just don't get this whole thing. I just find this, this Jesus thing. It just doesn't, doesn't quite make sense. I mean, aren't we in an enlightened scientific age now? Why are these people, you know, you look around, why are these people all singing this song? They really believe this stuff? What's up with this? And that confusion might even be a little more personal. It might, it might not be, why do these people? It might be, why does my brother believe this? 
Why does my mother insist on clinging to this stuff? Why? And so it may well be there's this confusion on this kind of internal confusion. Sometimes we'll talk about kind of being seekers or looking for, for, for uh, you know, man's search for God, that kind of a thing. Uh, and so there's a sense of curiosity or a sense of um, confusion there. And to your credit, that, that triggers a sense of curiosity because you're here. I'm, and I'm so glad you're here. You're in exactly the right place, right? If, you're, if you are curious about Jesus, if you do find him kind of confusing. And so I suspect that, that maybe some can connect that way with, with the women here. Or maybe, there's another angle on it, maybe uh, it's not that you are confused about Jesus. You believe in Jesus. You believe he's risen from the dead. You believe these things we're celebrating today. But God has surprised you in the way he's worked. So you're not confused about the resurrection, but you are confused about the one who's resurrected. You're like, why why is, you, you know, you're, you're confused about the way Jesus works, the way he's been working in your life. You know, he, he has not done what you thought he would do. He has not, your life has not gone the way you thought it would and should go. You, you, you read, you know, you read it, the whole thing through a few times and, and you crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's and you did all the things you were supposed to do and, and you obeyed God's commands and you did all those things and it hasn't worked the way you thought it was supposed to work for people who did those things. And so there's that sense. You, you trust him, you love him, but you're confused. You're confused about what God is doing in your life these days. And if you can connect with any of that, if you're like, yeah, I, 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 yeah some of that makes some sense to me, the, the thing to do is right there in the text, the thing to do is to press on, to press in. See, a lot of times we hit that stage, we hit that uh, confusion about how God is working in our lives or confusion about what people believe about God and we check out. We actually check out at that point and, and we let our, our confusion turn into disillusion and we just check out. And we go you know, binge a new series on Netflix or we go off in some other kind of preoccupation or distraction. We pour ourselves into our careers instead. We do something to just check out on, on the questions and the struggles we're having. That's not what the women in the text do. The women here in Mark 16, they don't check out. They don't say, okay, doors open. That's too much for me. Let's get out of here. They go in. They go in. And, and I think there's a, an example there for us. If you're dealing with some, some confusion, some internal struggle with the Lord this Easter, don't, don't check out. <laughs> press on. Press on and, and go in. That brings us to the third emotion we see in Mark's account. And the third emotion, here we go, we're, we're ramping up now, because now the third emotion is alarm. Alarm. Uh, you could use the word dismay, I suppose, at this point, because the women feel alarmed or dismayed uh, when they go inside the tomb and they see what is there and what is not there. Uh, take a look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And entering the tomb, so there they go, they go in, and entering the tomb... They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. Sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. So they go inside, right? So the door's open. Um, Like I said, they could have left, go try to find somebody else, but no, they're going to check it out. So they go inside the tomb, and inside there's a young man. Right? And, and it's a very vivid memory. Years later, they talk, they talk to, to explain this to Peter, explain it to Mark. Uh, and, and it's a very vivid memory. He was sitting on the right side. Right? So they go in, they look, and there's a young man sitting on the right side. You have to stop and remember what a shock this would be. Right? We've just left surprise behind. When you go into a tomb like this, what are you supposed to find? 
a dead body, right? It's a tomb. It's a new tomb, so there should only be one. Uh, we know from one of the other Gospels. And so they go in, and what they're expecting to see is dead Jesus lying on a bench. What they see instead is, Mark doesn't really report it, but they see an empty bench. But what they really see is a guy. There's a, so you expect a dead man, you see a living man. A living person is sitting over on the right. That's shocking all by itself, Right? If you ever go to a visitation at a funeral and you look in and the person kind of looks up and waves at you, that would be, <gasps> right? I, again, that's, I think that's the sense of alarm they have here. But then on top of that, this is no ordinary young man. Right? He's, he, I know Mark is going to use the word young man, but this young man uh, is, is an angel. This is an angel. The other three gospel writers, uh, Mark's letting us hang here a little bit. Mark's account is the shortest. It's the most minimal. It's a minimalist account compared to the other three gospel writers. And so Mark's going to just call him a young man, but he describes an angel. And like I say, Luke, Matthew, and, and John all tell us that they come right out and use the word angel. Mark just describes an angel. He's wearing white. White is, is a heavenly color in uh, in, in, in the New Testament, in biblical literature, white almost always signals, because, uh, you know, you wouldn't have white, you know, I got this white shirt on today. It's hard to get that kind of white without chemicals. Uh, they didn't tend to have whites like that. To get white like that, you've got to have, uh, it, it's from heaven, right? And the best example is the transfiguration. When Jesus is transfigured on the mountain, his clothes turn white, and you see this glowing white. That's what this young man looks like. He's glowing white, like something from heaven. And then he does, he, you know, so he looks like an angel, and then he does what an angel does. And we'll, he, he gives the women a message. We'll look at the message in just a minute. But the very fact that he gives them a message about something that no human being could know, it's a message from God, that also tells us that it's an angel, because angels are God's messengers. And so he's called a young man, but it's an angel. So the women go into the tomb... They see no Jesus, instead an angel, and that triggers alarm. And that's the ESV, which I'm working from this morning, says they were alarmed. And the word he uses here, a couple different ways to translate it. Um, alarmed is a great one. I like alarmed, uh, distressed, disturbed, uh, greatly surprised, like almost like shocked, so shocked, distressed, disturbed, alarmed. Those are all good ways to translate the Greek word here. Uh, some translations use amazed. You might have amazed if you're, depends what you're looking at. Um, I, don't, I don't think amazed quite does justice to what Mark is going for here. Amazed is I go to a baseball game, the slugger hits a homer, and I'm like, wow, that was amazing, right? That was an amazing home run. This isn't, oh, wow, that was amazing. This is uh, more like alarm. You know, you, you hear a thunderstorm, you open the door, and there's a tornado coming, right? That's not, you're not going to be like, oh, wow, it's a tornado. It's, unless you're like one of those weird tornado hunter people. But uh, <laughs> most of us are going to be, alarmed, right? We're going to be dismayed or disturbed to see that thing off on the horizon. And I think that's more what you have here. So it's not so much kind of amazement. It's, it's, it's this, they're disturbed, they're alarmed, they're troubled by what they see. And then the angel opens his mouth. It's going to get worse <laughs> or more intense. Worse is the wrong word. It's going to get more intense. The angel opens his mouth and then we see fear. Now we see fear. That's the fourth emotion. And, and it's where Mark is going to stop. And, and you'll, you, you know, people always have this question, rightfully so. Most of our Bibles, if you have your Bible open, um, there's, verse, there's, enough, there's more passage, verses 9 through 20, um, and the, there's a whole question of whether Mark wrote those. He probably didn't. They were probably added by a monk at some later time. They're all biblical. The things those verses say are true because they were pulled from the rest of the New Testament. 
But the most likely explanation is Mark just stopped at verse 8. And so this is how he's going to end. He's going to end with what verse 8 says. Verse, uh, although we will get there in a minute. First, let's look at verses 6 and 7 and see what the angel said. So the angel said to them, so they see this angel sitting on the side. They're alarmed by the angel. The angel says, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So the, the angel, he's not just sitting there. He starts talking, and, and he says to the women, first thing, it's, it's like what angels almost always say to human beings in the gospel, in the Bible. He says, don't be alarmed. So you love the, the, the storytelling here. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, right? Don't be alarmed. And uh, it's easy for him to say. He knows what's going on, but, but they're alarmed. And for, for good reason, for all the reasons I was just describing, you know, it's, it, there's, this is a scary thing for them, very difficult sort of a thing. So he says, don't be alarmed. And then I actually think he makes it more alarming because he, uh, he basically starts telling them he's read their mind. He knows why you're here. He says, uh, he, he says to them, uh, you're looking for Jesus. Maybe that's obvious. It is his tomb. But uh, you're looking for Jesus, the angel says, the, the, the man from Nazareth, right? The, Jesus the Nazarene, uh, the one who was crucified. You're looking for him. And when the angel says you're looking for him, he means you're looking for his body because that's the, that's the point of he was crucified. If you've been crucified, you're not going to find a, a, you know, a living person. You're going to find a dead person. Crucifixion led to, led to death. So you're looking for Jesus. You're looking for the dead guy. Good news, ladies. He's not dead anymore. He's not here. Look, and he, and I, I, he gestures. I'm sure he gestures. Remember, he's sitting to the right, so to the left of the thing, looking out. And uh, he gestures. He says, behold, look. It's the Greek word for look. See, look, behold, uh, the place where they put him. He's not there. And then he explains, lest they think, and John tells us they do. They're worried the body was stolen. The body wasn't stolen. He's risen. He's risen from the dead. And, and so much more could be said about that. So much more could be said about that, but Mark doesn't say only any of it. <laughs> he doesn't say any of it. He simply reports the fact we're going to have to go to the other Gospels. We're going to have to go to Romans and the New Testament to understand the full implications of that. Mark simply reports it. The angel says, he is risen. He is risen. But angel's not done yet, actually. The angel has part two to what the angel has to say, part two of the message. The angel says, not only is he risen, but you're going to see him. He didn't just kind of disappear and you'll never, you know, I wonder what happened. No, you're going to see him. And so the angel says, go give the disciples a message. Tell him that Jesus will meet you in Galilee, just like he said he would do. Jesus had told them, they didn't understand it, but he said, after I rise from the dead, I'll meet you in Galilee. And they're like, what are you talking about? Well, now here he is. He's, he's going to do exactly what he said. And so Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. Jesus isn't here. And Jesus will meet you. You're going to see him in Galilee. And with that, the women started jumping up and down in joy. And they were excited and shrieking and happy. And, and they were hugging each other in their, in their, in their giddiness. No, <laughs> that's not what happened. There's verse 8. Here's our verse 8 now. Probably the ending to, to Mark. And they went out, out from the tomb, and they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So the women are upset. They're upset by what the angel says. They're not, their, their first response, 
Mark is going to give us their first response. It's not their permanent response. It's their first response. Their first response is that they're, they're, they're troubled, deeply troubled. They're, they're afraid, so afraid, so troubled, so afraid that they actually disobey both of the commands the angel gave them. The angel gives them two commands. If you look at verses 6 and 7, the angel two, tells them two things to do. The first is do not be alarmed. <laughs> so much for that. <laughs> Don't be alarmed, he says. And they escalate from alarm into to profound fear. Um, it, they're shaking, they're trembling, it says. The word for astonished, um, it, it can also be translated as uh, filled with terror or bewildered. I like that bewildered, I think is better. Uh, and so they're, they're trembling, they're shaking, they're, they're bewildered, they're t- filled with terror, and, and they, they come running out of the tomb. Right, so if you had been there, if you'd been there, maybe you were visiting another relative, laying some flowers kind of a thing, and you know, 50 feet away, you look up and you hear, you, you, I don't know what you hear, it doesn't say what you hear, but you, you look up and you see these women come running out of a tomb. What would you think? <laughs> I mean, they see a monster in there? I mean, what, 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 what just happened inside of that tomb? Because it's, it's just this picture, they fled. They fled. That's how scared they were. So they disobey the, the command to not be alarmed. And then they disobey the command to go give a message, at least initially. At least initially. Uh, in the short term, they, they disobey it. So Mark says, the angel says, go tell the disciples. Mark says, here's what they did. They said nothing. They said nothing to anyone. And probably the right way to understand that, somebody asked me after the first service, they, they, they ran all the way back to the, to the house and they didn't tell a soul Right? You'd think, you know, I was thinking of the shepherds, you know, the shepherds when Jesus is born. Remember how the shepherds respond after they see baby Jesus? They go running around Bethlehem, waking everybody up. You know, hey, guess what? Guess what? You know, and uh, that's, that is not the response of the women. They run back and they don't tell anybody. If you'd been standing there in the cemetery, they wouldn't have said a word to you. They would have just been run, running right by you. Uh, and, and, and that's what you get here. So later they do. You can read in Matthew, you can read in John. Later they tell the disciples, they get over it. The joy begins to supplant the fear, but their first reaction, their first response to the empty tomb is they're blown away by it. Back to this idea of wonder. They are blown away by it. Their first reaction is to be so afraid they can't even talk. And you say, why are they so afraid? Well, they've never seen anything like this. You and I have had you know, 2,000 years to get used to this idea, or at least our own lifetimes. We've had that long to get used to this idea. Uh, you know, we know all about where this is headed, and they're going to see Jesus, and they're going to touch him and talk to him, and here to see my side, and this, you know, all that stuff that's going to happen. None of that's happened yet when they, when this, when they get this news. And so it, it, it's going to take some getting used to. I think that's what it comes down to. They're afraid because it turns out Jesus is even bigger than they thought. If it were possible, he's even bigger than they thought. I mean, they'd seen him do some pretty big things. They'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen him feed million, you know, thousands of people from a little boy's lunch. They'd seen all these amazing things Jesus had done. And now it turns out he's even bigger than that. He's, he's conquered death. He's even greater than death. And I think that, quite honestly, it takes a little getting used to. And I think that's probably the big part, that and all the other stuff we've talked about that, that lands them in this place. So when we talk about fear, right? So I'm talking about fear this morning. When we talk about uh, fear, I'm not saying we should be afraid in the sense that like you should like run out of here, right? like they did, like running out of the tomb. It, it's not terror, like their initial experience, but what we should feel, right? So what's God going for here with the, the gospel of Mark? 
what we should feel is a sense of holy fear. And and I'll come back to where I started. Uh, We should feel a sense of awe. That, that, That powerful reaction to what God has done in Christ. It should still be there, even 2,000 years later. We should still feel a sense of awe. And, and here's how, that comes, how it applies. We're not just only talking emotions today. Here's, here's what I mean. If this is true, if what we're celebrating today actually happened, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, if he really is therefore bigger even than death, It changes everything. It changes everything. Because this Jesus is no ordinary man. Right? He's no ordinary man. He's he's God. He's all the things he said he would. Now it's the proof is to the pudding. He's it it, here it is. He's he's God. He's the Savior. He's the conqueror of death. He's the judge. He's the king. He's the king of all kings. And that changes everything. If Christ is risen then you and I don't get to just go about our lives like nothing is different. Right? We, we, the children led us in that song before. It, you know, we don't get to just go about as if nothing has changed. And that's a little scary. This isn't just a story. Right? It, 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 it means something directly for my life and for your life if this is true. And that's a scary thing. I like how C.S. Lewis put it. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the guy who wrote the Narnian books, famous Christian writer from about 100 years ago, uh, he, he grappled with this experience of awe in coming to recognize the reality of God. He wrote a book called Miracles. This is from his book, Miracles. I want to quote a couple paragraphs. And in the context of the book, Miracles, he's talking about how one of the functions of miracles is that they help us grapple with the reality of God, that God's really there, that there really is a God, right? That's what miracles, one of the things miracles can do. And so listen to how, how he works through this. Lewis says, it is always shocking to meet life where we thought we were alone, right? So you thought there was no God, and then you're like, whoa, wait a minute, there is a God, right? It's always shocking to meet life where we thought we were alone. Look out, we cry. It's alive, right? So imagine you're, you're in the house, and you see this little black lint, and you're like, oh, I dropped that lint, and you rick down, and you pick it up, and ah, <laughs> it's not a lint, it's a spider, Right, it's a big hairy wolf spider. And, you, you, and, and, and you know, that, that's what he's going there for. You thought it was dead. You thought there was nothing there, but it's alive. That's the experience of recognizing that God is real, he says. And so we, we, uh, it's always shocking to meet life where we thought we were, alone. we were alone. Look out, we cry, it's alive. And therefore, he goes on, this is the very point, that realization is the very point at which so many draw back and proceed no further with Christianity. An impersonal God, that's well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, and goodness who lives inside our own heads, that's better still. A formless life force surging through us, a vast power into which we can tap. Oh, that's best of all. But God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the rope, uh, perhaps approaching us at an infinite speed, he says, that is quite another matter. What's he saying in his own way? He's saying, if this is true, if Christ is risen, we should be a little afraid. We should be in that sense of holy holy awe because nothing can stay the same if Christ is risen. I want to close this morning by encouraging you because what I just said is good news. 
And I know it's, it might feel a little unusual to talk about, basically, all three were negative emotions, right? All four were kind of negative emotions. Here we are ending on fear, and you're like, that's a weird Easter sermon. The guy talked about fear. But what I just said is good news. And it's good news because it means that it, it, the fact that the resurrection changes everything, it is good news because it means that whatever it is you are facing, whatever difficult circumstances, whatever troubling emotions, whatever those things you might be facing today, Jesus is bigger than all of them. When I say it changes everything, he, he's bigger than all of it. And so if you're feeling hopeless today, maybe you feel hopeless and you're connected with that, please know that Jesus is bigger than your hopelessness. Whatever the source of your hopelessness is, Jesus is bigger. He's bigger than that thing. He rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead. He conquered the last and greatest enemy. And so he's bigger than, than your grief or your anxiety or, or whatever. Uh, if you're feeling confused today, in, in that way in which I talked about it, maybe you're, you're struggling with doubts about how God's been working in your life or the things he's asked you to go through, or, or maybe you back that up a little bit. You're, 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 you're struggling with even uh, his requirements or his existence at all. Please know he can handle that. Right? Jesus is bigger than your doubts. He's bigger than your questions. And so don't just check out. Don't uh, run away like Lewis put it. Uh, bring those things to him. Keep, keep going in. Keep looking for him. Don't hide from, them, from him. Bring your doubts. Bring your questions to him. He can, he, he can handle them because he's bigger than your doubts. He's bigger than your questions. If you're discouraged, you know, just that last idea, if you're, if you're alarmed or any of the forms alarmed takes... <laughs> If you're disturbed by your circumstances or distressed by something your kids are going through or you're, you're depressed or you're anxious or you're grieving or whatever you're facing, Christ is risen. It's true. He's alive. He's awesome. And he's ready to help you. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you that it is true that Christ is risen. This isn't just a story. It's not a cultural heritage. Uh, it is the truth. It is a historically verifiable thing that you did in human history. You raised Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, who died for our sins. You raised him again from the grave, never to die again. We praise you for that. And we thank you for it. We worship you today. We bring you all of that stuff, Lord, our, our discouragement, our hopelessness, our difficulties, our doubts, our confusion, uh, the whole mess. We bring it to you on this Easter, and we pray that you would move in us and uh, in us by your Spirit to bring comfort, to bring courage, to bring hope, to bring peace, to bring trust, to bring faith. You know what we need better than we know ourselves. And so we look to you, the risen Savior, today to be, uh, to be everything to us, to be our, our God and our King. And it's in Christ's name that we pray all this. Amen.